0: Welcome to Mirepoix Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Schubach. I'm a writer, theater maker, and food enthusiast, and I'm taking you on a journey through food, family, and culture via the lens of food practice and tradition. Our guest today is Elise Mayfield. Up first, a word from our sponsors. This is Mirepoix. elise thank you so much for being here
1: oh my goodness hello joe schubach
0: we, we did it we're reunited
1: i know it's been it's been a hot second and by that i mean a couple of years
0: absolutely yeah yeah it's a wedding on the east coast i think
1: oh my gosh i think you're right i think it probably was gwen and josh's wedding i think you're yeah. right And now they have two
0: babies. And now they have two babies. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, uh, first question is, who the heck are you?
1: Oh, hello. Um, My name is Elise Mayfield. Um, I am a Birmingham, Alabama native, um, although Joe and I met in Chicago several years ago. Um, I am an actor, a baker, a former MasterChef contestant, a youtube show host and uh also you know i write grants for a theater company
0: so you really do it all
1: really kind of all over the map
0: (laughs) my mom uh, was a a particular fan of your youtube uh
1: thank you yeah smart cookie was a great show i really loved doing that with all recipes and i'm still sad that it's not happening right now um but i'm hoping i actually have an episode that i filmed on my own in the can and i need to edit it oh yeah so i'm hoping that maybe i can get my act together and do that
0: (laughs) that's beautiful that i mean that would be a dream (laughs) (laughs) thank you it's hard getting stuff done right now
1: oh my god it's so hard to get stuff done right now i just oh god i kind of vacillate between being like i'm not doing enough and also the instinct to just like hibernate under a blanket and watch like you know mini series on uh serial killers 100
0: yes what do you usually say is your favorite food
1: uh my favorite food is my mom's mashed potatoes oh. that's my that's my favorite my favorite food
0: what she has like special? a twice
1: well, she does like a twice bake situation where she makes them on the stovetop and then she folds in cream cheese and then she bakes them. So they actually get like a little crispier around the edge. Oh, wow. oh, they're so good, they're so good.
0: That sounds incredible. Uh, these interviews always make me incredibly hungry.
1: <laughs> oh, every time I'm like, okay, I've perfectly scheduled this from 11.30 to 12.30 so I can eat lunch afterwards.
0: I love it, I love it. Um, what about, what's your favorite food and beverage pairing?
1: Um, you know, my favorite food and Bev pairing is um, actually pretty generic in that I really love hot food, cold drink, uh-huh. which really extends to many things, but like nothing brings me greater joy than like a warm chocolate chip cookie and ice cold milk. Oh yeah. Or like, you know, like a, I love like a, you know, a beautifully prepared like fish dish and like a really cold glass of wine yeah. but that kind of like temperature change is probably is is actually what's more delightful than the actual food and drink situation
0: that's real i love um like mcdonald's french fries when they're a little bit too hot <gasps> yes with the diet coke i mean that's my yes
1: thing. that's it that's Something the one. about
0: that yeah like like almost maybe the food almost hurts you a little bit
1: <laughs> yeah like but I love that extreme temperature like that yeah. extreme temperature change is so um like sensorily exciting
0: it is it is it means something's happened it means you're alive yeah. <laughs> yes there's been a couple days during this time that I've like overdone it on the hot sauce I'm purpose <laughs> Just, to Just like, need
1: to feel something. Exactly. <laughs> I understand.
0: <laughs> you know, it's, it's, <laughs> there's lots of different tools for grounding, you know?
2: <laughs> yes.
0: Um, what about, uh, speaking of hot, uh, what's your favorite hot breakfast?
1: Okay, now I'm really going to show where I'm from because I'm from Alabama and um, and I'm back here in the South now, so my favorite hot breakfast is to go to the Piggly Wiggly which is a which is a grocery store chain in the south go to the pig they have uh like a cafeteria line oh, yeah. and they do breakfast and lunch at the cafeteria line at the pig but at the pig you can get a bowl of cheese grits a bag of bacon yep.
2: <laughs> it's
1: like a whole bag of bacon yeah. and a biscuit and oh. it is a chef kiss so i
0: love good. a cafeteria style Oh, I love it. It's so you ever go to and Bel- it costs like
1: it's like less than 5 bucks.
0: Oh, the whole, that's, that's the dream. The yeah.
1: Breakfast. Yeah, that's the dream too. It's like it's like $4.75 or something for like the whole breakfast.
0: That's right. Did you ever go to Valois in Hyde Park? No.
1: Was that oh, a cafeteria?
0: Yeah, it's a it's like a I think their slogan is see your food um oh yeah it was a, a big barack obama hunt and it uh it's i mean it's a chicago staple but he yeah. also sort of brought some attention to it they have a barack obama um menu <laughs> like oh i love the that You got there but it's it's like the walk down the line with oh your-
1: we call those a, a meet and three here oh. you go to the meet and three so you're getting a meet and then like three sides or something that's amazing so it's cafeteria style but but i've coming up here. I always, I actually always wanted to try to find a spot in like North Chicago. That was a meet, uh-huh. that would be a good like meet and three spot. Yeah. That's like a cafeteria style. I'm a big fan as well.
0: There's a Polish cafeteria style restaurant on the Northwest side, I think called like the Apple maybe. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think that I've never been there actually, but that people rave about it up on the mm. side. So good. Um, we, I saw you make eggs on live tv once
1: yes i think yes 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 um that what was that for oh i think it was for the local news Uh and it was right around masterchef time and i had I was still living in Chicago and I came back to visit and for the holidays and they had heard that a MasterChef contestant was from Birmingham was there and so I got on like the local morning news channel and I made like eggs and cream like uh and like little ramekins where you basically kind of poach your egg in heavy cream and you can add like spinach or um like canadian bacon or something i haven't made those in a long time thank you for remembering that i need to to make those again (laughs) thank you for that because they are delicious
0: i remember watching that and thinking i didn't know you could do that with cream
1: right yeah no and i haven't made those in a long time but they are very tasty
0: we gotta we gotta we gotta get to work we gotta make them what do you call them eggs and cream (laughs) eggs
2: and cream
1: I can't remember now what they're called. I'm gonna have to look it up. I'm so embarrassed. I can't even remember what the recipe is. We'll we can throw it, it in
0: the show notes. That's throw what it in up, like show note.
1: It's called this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, small shift in gears. What's your favorite theme park or county fair or street festival food?
1: Mm, okay, if I'm going to a good old like county fair or a theme park. Um, I have a very difficult time resisting a corn dog like I can't there's like yeah. I, in no other circumstance do I ever really want that um but if I'm at a street fair I'm like yeah I'm gonna get a corn dog yeah um I, I just they are delicious but I don't eat them in any other context
0: yeah not well, um, that is um that it's hard to replicate right
1: yes it is yeah there's definitely something about that uh the length that the fryer roll has been sitting there. <laughs> the the amount of sugar and the cornbread, you know, part of it. I don't know. Um, well and,
0: and also the, hot and cold, right? I mean, that's a probably yeah, gonna be a pipe and hot corn dog.
1: That's true. It's gonna be pipe and hot corn dog with some cold ketchup. <laughs> yep.
0: Yeah. Oh, I interrupted you though.
1: Oh, I was gonna say, um, here in Birmingham, we actually have like a really big Lebanese population oh, in uh-huh. town. And um, so there's a Lebanese food festival that happens every year. It's very popular. It's hosted by the Orthodox Greek um, Catholic Church here in uh-huh. town. And that food festival is probably my favorite food festival that I have ever been to. Yeah. They just, it's like everybody's Nona has gone to the food festival and they have like a tent. They even did a drive-through one this year because of the pandemic. Like you oh, could wow. basically drive through and they, they like made, plates and handed it off through the car
0: Amazing. um
1: but that was i grew up eating a lot of kind of greek and lebanese food because we have a really big culture here like yeah. all the diners in town were created by the greek families and then because i went to catholic school we had lots of lebanese folks and mm. so we ate a lot of ate a lot of kibby and gyro and and all kinds of stuff
0: Yeah, i was gonna say lots of shaved meats i'm sure oh yes big time have you ever had yeah. fool no i'm it's like not a, the a lebanese bean soup i actually think it's traditionally served at yes. breakfast
1: yes i have had it it is delicious
0: it's, yes. good.
2: <laughs> it's so
1: good
0: it's so good um what about what's what's a food you eat to feel comforted um
1: pad thai oh
0: yeah
1: um That started in Chicago. That would be like if I had had too much to drink, pad thai is like a really good hangover food. Yeah, yeah. Um, So in a weird way, like that's kind of how it started was like a, you know, like I would eat it for dinner that night if I'd been out too late. But I love pad thai. And then I realized it was a comfort food several years ago. I went to Sweden by myself for Thanksgiving. And um, it was a great trip. It was a good solo trip. But Um, I noticed in the restaurants in Stockholm, there were not a lot of people eating by themselves. And so it was not really a normal thing for somebody to go and say, I want a table for one. Um, And so I had a night where I felt a little lonely and I found a Thai restaurant and I ordered pad Thai and it did make me feel better.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. it's, oh God, it's so good. It is so good. Um, This is kind of related to your hangover cure. What's a food you eat when you are under the weather?
1: Um, I again going back to like Lebanese and Greek culture, I grew up eating um ha, let me look at the way that it's spelled and then I can actually pronounce it. Uh avgolo, mm, nope, I never can say it. Avgolemono. Lomano. I think is how you say it. Yeah. It's like a Greek soup. It's like a chicken. It's chicken and egg and lemon. Yeah. Yep. And it's with orzo pasta and it is, um, it is like, it's basically a chicken noodle soup, but it's more lemony. And because of that egg, it's like a little bit thicker than a traditional kind of like chicken broth situation. But I have had that, like, I mean, my mom, um, Like found a canned brand like there is a brand in the store that you can buy and when I was sick in Chicago by myself like she she would like tell me you've got to go find this brand and would like take a picture of it and be like go find it you'll be fine
0: yeah there's um they actually they I know exactly that soup and they sell it right at my grocery store it's a jarred yes
1: yes it is very good um Yeah. And I really only eat it when I'm like, have a cold. It's not something I usually like seek out unless I'm not feeling super great.
0: We, uh, when I was in high school, we would go to this, uh, Greek diner on Sundays. Yes. um, Like every Sunday. Um, but they did, I can't remember if it was on Sunday or not, but once a week, that was the soup of the day. Yeah. Fantastic. That lemon is, is the,
1: yeah, it's very zesty.
0: It's very zesty. It's
1: so zesty.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But it's so nice. Yeah, you're right. That's a that's a perfect like medicinal food. Like you're like eating it, and you're like, I know yeah. this is doing something.
1: It's doing something, and it's got all the right stuff. It's got the chicken broth, and the lemon is good for you because like yeah. even if you can't taste anything else, you can taste the citrus in that soup.
2: It's very good. Hello.
0: Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So the namesake of the show, which is a classic base to many recipes, is mirepoix. This three yes. ingredient holy trinity takes many forms all over the globe and manifests in different ways. I'm sure you know this to be true. I do. Uh, What's your mirepoix? What ingredients do you use on the regular to start a cooking process?
1: Mm, Okay. Well, I mean, if I'm baking, it's the basics. So it's butter, flour, sugar. I mean, you can make so many things with just those three ingredients. Um, So if I'm baking, it's butter, flour, sugar. If I'm cooking something, I thought long and hard about this cuz I was like is it just the classic but I think that mine um is really onion garlic and thyme. Mm. I love thyme. It's yeah. my favorite herb and um if I have it in the house i'm gonna use it because i just think it goes well with so many savory dishes and some sweet ones too i mean i love that mix of like a sweet dessert with a with some herbaceousness thrown in there um as the curveball but i think yeah i think my i think my three are onion garlic and thyme
0: yeah yeah I, man i know we already all know this but onion and garlic is in every person's answer
2: <laughs>
1: i know i will i but i was thinking about it and i was like yeah i mean everything that i do starts with butter usually i do butter and oil yeah. in, the, in the pot butter and oil and then onion and then you throw your garlic in and let it go for 30 seconds and then whatever else happens happens but it all kind of <laughs> starts with the same thing
0: yeah yeah yeah, yeah and I, yeah that's a good point like i feel like i build off of like mm-hmm. onion and garlic and olive oil, or onion and garlic and butter. Yeah, I've said this in a previous episode. I just started sort of understanding the power of red chili flakes. Um, oh, yes. End.
1: Yes, red chili flake on the front end is great because it gives it like it it becomes more subtle the longer it's in the in the pot. Um, have you ever uh, have you ever used roasted red chili paste? It's yeah. like a Thai. Yeah. Um, that is also one of my like I, I kind of use that interchangeably with red chili flake.
0: That's a good tip.
1: Um, because it it gives it um it's a little bit more of a depth of flavor because they're already roasted. Um, so there's a little bit of like that smoky undertone and the, the heat isn't as present, but it's still uh there. There's like this under under taste of of like there's a little bit of smoky spiciness happening.
0: Anyway. That sounds incredible.
1: It is pretty good.
0: I was real proud of myself on Christmas because we were doing baked pasta on Mm. Christmas Eve and earlier that day because I went to make it at my sister's house but earlier that day at my house I did um uh small onions uh I don't know what kind but they were small uh mushrooms like super Mm -hmm. finely chopped Mm. basil butter and olive oil Mm. I basically prepped like a version of sofrito or whatever yeah and then use later totally worth it like
1: oh my god it's so much yeah that, that like uh the vegetable prep even if especially if you're traveling somewhere i have also realized is like that's what's key it's like if you can get if you can show up wherever you're going and you have already prepped your vegetables yeah and really when you're cooking in general it makes such a huge difference if you take the time to um chop and cut and dice and mince everything uh, exactly the way that you want it. It makes such a big, huge difference.
0: Well, and because I had like, I basically sauteed it super low for a chunk of time while I was doing other stuff. Like I had done all the time-based dirty work. Yes. By the time I just mixed that in with some sauce and some pasta, it was as if I had been- Right,
1: doing it for the whole time, like in one consecutive thing, yeah. yeah, yes.
0: Time, as it turns out, time is huge in flavor. uh, Yes, development. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) now you know why like all of our uh, ancestors were in the kitchen for so many hours.
1: Right, there was like actually somebody who like that was their full-time job. They literally cooked from like the morning, the time the sun came up in the morning until they were finished cleaning that last dish because things took so much time.
0: Yeah, no microwave.
1: No microwave, there's no microwaves
0: um what's in your fridge what are the items you can always find in your kitchen or pantry
1: Mm. um i again from because i'm from the south have you ever had duke's mayonnaise
0: no but i i have seen it or heard of it
1: duke's mayonnaise i'm telling you is the best mayonnaise out there it is it is very good and i can't exactly pinpoint exactly why but i will say that from our from my days as a food stylist i worked for meredith corporation as a food stylist for three yeah. years and um we realized while i was while i was doing that i also was learning a lot about food and about recipe development and um how that kind of carries over into what the pictures of recipes look like in magazines um, but one of, anyway, about Duke's mayonnaise, one of the things that, um, a recipe developer told me is that it is the closest to, um, Kewpie mayonnaise, which can be found in like Asian grocery stores. Oh, uh-huh. It's kind of like a Asian or Japanese, I think it yeah. might specifically be Japanese mayonnaise. Um, but Duke's mayonnaise has the same kind of fat content as Cupy, mm. Um, so it's just, it's like a super rich silky oh. mayo. Um,
0: if you're going to go, go big.
1: I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to eat the mayo, just like go for the fattiest kind there
0: Yeah.
1: because um, fat is flavor. Yeah, I, like I also it. like to think about that as myself because I'm a little chunky too. <laughs> That's
2: <beautiful. laughs> that I just got
1: a lot of flavor. That's great. That's great. <laughs> so I, I always have a jar of Dukes. I always have Dijon mustard because oh, yeah. Dijon can go in anything for an instant like flavor boost. Yeah. dijon it up um and then i think i have some staples like i usually have a bottle of wine that is both simultaneously for drinking and or deglazing a pan yes interchangeable Interchangeable. Um, we, you know probably a little of both um and then we all i always have eggs because i'm an eggs in the morning kind of kind of person so i have eggs usually have some kind of fruit and and always a sliced cheese Gotta have a sliced cheese
0: <laughs> what sliced cheese is your go-to
1: oh I'm a big fan of pepper jack but yeah. I also love a Havarti
0: so mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: if I'm going to be if I'm going to be a little bit fancier I will I, I will go to the deli and get that Havarti cheese you bet
0: I mean I I love every cheese I think the only one that gives me the willies sometimes is baby Swiss like if there's too many holes I'm <laughs> like what uh, is
1: that um we're gonna have to look it up this is gonna okay. be another footnote of like, there it is yeah.
0: Sorry, listeners, if you got it.
1: Sorry. Yeah, maybe Swiss is a little weird. <laughs> Although
0: you taught me about the um, the magic of white American cheese in cooking. Oh my
1: gosh. White American cheese is an underrated cheese. And I'm telling you, if you need to make some cheese dip for something, it's white American cheese. That's what. It, that's the only kind. Because the, the other great thing about white American cheese is that you can freeze it yes. and thaw it out. And it will be fine.
0: Yeah. Because it's plastic. Because
1: it's it's like dairy-ish.
0: Yeah. You know? White American
1: cheese for the win. Yes. Oh,
0: so good. So good. Yeah. I I actually probably sing your praises about that queso dip you made too often. People are probably (laughs) like, what's wrong with this guy? What's wrong
2: with it?
1: It's just it is a really good recipe. And it actually came from a restaurant here in Birmingham. Mm. My mom. Found they it was like a secret recipe for a long time, and then eventually, they published it somewhere. Like I think it was in a newspaper because I remember my mom like cutting cutting it out because we would go to the restaurant just to get that cheese dip. Yeah, we would get that cheese dip, and then we would eat like black bean soup or something. But we would get like a really light meal because what we were really doing was coming to eat chips and queso. And what's
0: in there? Um, It's like onion, jalapeno.
1: Yeah, it's onion. pickled jalapenos, green chili, um, white American cheese, a little bit of milk, um, cumin, coriander, salt and pepper, garlic powder.
0: So good.
1: And I think that's, I think that that is it. Oh, um, one can of fire roasted tomatoes.
0: Oh, and is that, is that the kind of thing where you put the liquid in with the tomatoes or do you strain it?
1: no you strain. yeah you strain strain the tomatoes strain the chilies strain the jalapenos um because really you're the only liquid it's like two pounds of white american cheese for this thing like you go to the deli and you say can you give me half of the four pound block that this comes in i want half of a block of cheese and they're always like do you want the slice and i'm like no, literally just chop the block in half and give it to me. That, that's what I need. Yeah. Um, a heads I think up I'd that probably landed, order
0: it sliced just so I didn't have to have much of a conversation. I mean,
1: I've done that before where I was like, sure. I mean, if you want to slice me two pounds, you can, but like, yeah. I'm going to put this in a crock pot and it's going to cook for like two hours, so.
0: Oh. That's the best scary. recipe to end with that, right? Yeah. Um, all right, uh, to, going into our sort of memory landscape yes Uh, you're nine years old who's in your Mm -hmm. kitchen who's doing the cooking and what are they making
1: um so i've thought long and hard about this but we're going to talk about my grandmother later because she was Mm. really the she was really the holiday cook cook person but when i was nine like everyday foods um it was mom was in the kitchen sheree shout out to sheree um (laughs) She, and mom has mom has actually as I've grown in my cooking journey my mom has grown in hers but when I was little she really and she I'm not saying it this because she wouldn't she'd not agree with it but like mom was not the, the best cook in yeah the, in <laughs> the, she was she had some dishes that she could do and we had them kind of on rotation so it was like good old classic taco night um Hard shell taco, of course, because of course. the 90s. Yeah. So hard sh- hard shell tacos. Um, we would do pizza night um, where it, would, it wouldn't be the pizza dough, it'd be like the ones that are kind of par baked already. Oh,
0: yeah, like the Bobbly.
1: Yes, exactly. So we would do like pizza night. She made meatloaf pretty frequently um, and spaghetti night. So it was, you know, it was like all the kind of classic staples that people yeah. think of, I think, for. A good old American dinner, but I remember her doing all of those, and and I was actually a pretty picky eater as a kid. So, oh. um, you know, we ate pretty pretty plainly. But as I've as I've kind of grown in my food journey, and gotten more creative and inventive and willing to try new things, mom has too. So she's actually she's pretty good. Yeah, she, yeah, like the last. I mean, for the last couple of years, she's just been getting better and better and better. We're
0: all growing every day i know hopefully
1: hopefully gosh
0: that's beautiful um if we aren't eating blank then it isn't blank
1: okay if we aren't eating chicken and dressing then it is not thanksgiving now dressing and stuffing i find to be highly controversial yes Now, my husband's family is from Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. and they live in Mississippi now, but um, they are definitely Midwestern. In fact, you know, the first time that I went to go visit them, Max and I were only a few months into dating, and Mm -hmm. I went, I was like thinking, you know, like, oh, we're going to a farm in Mississippi, and I was expecting farm in Mississippi and his grandparents walked out and his grandpa gets gets comes out into the yard and he's like oh hello there my name is Ed and this is my wife Kathy and I was like oh my god hello hello Midwest (laughs) hello Midwest it was and it was lovely because I had just been back from Chicago and I actually like missed the accent and I was like oh yes um and so they are from Wisconsin and they are a stuffing stuffing family so they stuff the turkey and they cook the stuffing inside of the turkey. Um, and they, it's not a cornbread and, you know, dressing situation. It's like bread, bread, but I grew up eating chicken and dressing, which my grandmother always made. That is like a cornbread dressing with poached chicken that's shredded in it. It's got celery and onion and sage is like the sage is a very prominent, um, and that that to me is holiday food like it is not a holiday unless I've had that yeah um but I will say that Max's grandmother's stuffing is very good (laughs) so I I, caveat of like I am not dissing the stuffing at the Hydeorn Thanksgiving it is very good
0: but one doesn't Um, replace the other right
1: no but they're not they're not really the same thing and I uh My grandmother um, has recently been uh, diagnosed with dementia and Mm -hmm. and with the pandemic has had a pretty um, steep decline and Mm -hmm. has been admitted to a a, a nursing home where Mm -hmm. she is now. And so this is the first holiday season where she hasn't been able to cook. And so we didn't have chicken and dressing um, and we didn't have the, all the dessert stuff that she used to do. And it's gotten smaller and smaller the amount of cooking she was doing over the years yeah. but like this was the first year where it was like we're not she's not cooking because she, she's not she can't she's in a locked ward yeah. at a nursing home so I am it's a strange year with the pandemic but I'm hoping that next year I can start to make some of those dishes that that feel like holiday
2: yeah
1: um so because because somebody else is going to have to do it so yeah, yeah. I'm going to do it now
0: Uh, yeah well i'm so sorry to hear about that
1: thanks yeah it's a it's a rough time for everybody and i you know i just think that with the general confusion of like routines being gone it was hard for her to keep a grasp of what reality she did still have and so without the routine and some of it is like the holiday stuff like i don't think she really even knew that it was a christmas because she didn't do the big holiday cooking that she's done for You know 60 years of her life so That's right. anyway we're we're adjusting to what is going to be kind of a new a new holiday tradition and i'm hopeful for next year holidays that we'll start to establish who's going to make those kind of family dishes again
0: yeah yeah well you're a good candidate
1: well thank you <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> speaking of holidays different vibe yes. maybe uh it's a celebration how did you know that your family was going all out with food? What restaurants did you go to? What plates came out of the cupboard? How big was the spread?
1: Mm. Um, let's see. So if it's Christmas time, my mom has a special set of dishes that she pulls out. And um, for, for Christmas, we have almost always had blueberry muffins. And it's oh. like the only time that we ever make blueberry muffins is on Christmas
0: morning. That's so funny
1: um and like i don't know why blueberry muffins it's always been like that for as long as i can remember um but we always have blueberry muffins and we always have them on the christmas plates that have the christmas tree on them every year yeah um but if it's a different kind of celebration we also go um more more recently um, if it was a big celebration we go to the club which is kind of the city club here in Birmingham it's not really a country club but it's a city club and it sits up on top of the mountain wow. the city and it's got a you know it's got like this beautiful view of all the city lights and we don't ever really we we don't ever go in the um in the like fancy restaurant we go to to the grill which uh-huh. is like the more casual dining but still it feels special because it's got yeah. this like you know this beautiful view and um they have like an incredible martini bar and uh and it's also a special place because it's also where I had my wedding reception earlier this year which mm. is a good thing that happened in 2020 was a, a wedding <laughs> so it's a it's a special place and we've been going there for a for several years now so that that is also the like restaurant celebration
0: yeah do you think there's a connection to um restaurant traditions and how you described like your mom at the beginning of your life not having a huge kitchen jobs
1: yeah i mean we we definitely loved going out to eat and and I was an only child so it was uh, it was often just mom dad and I and we we did go out to eat because um both of my parents were working parents and um and we all kept really busy schedules i mean you know frequently it was like mom had you know she was working a full-time job she had a hobby dad was working a lot and he had hobbies and I had like a full school schedule so we did go out to eat quite often and some of it i think is because until recently mom did not enjoy cooking uh-huh. and which is which is now it's changed i mean she has gotten to where she enjoys the process of it but when i was younger you know i don't think that she really enjoyed it very much because she didn't feel like she was good at it and it felt like i think a thing that just had to get done because the family needed to be fed yeah um and so we did we did go out pretty frequently there's this restaurant called dugan's that um was a kind of a downtown spot it was a total pub it was dark mahogany they had this kind of um the stained glass like uh chandeliers over each table um and in the early in the late 80s and uh maybe early 90s still like people smoked inside of that bar like it had a big long wooden bar so there it was just as many people like smoking around the bar so it was kind of always a little smoky in there Um, But we, we went so frequently that I became the, the restaurant mascot. I became, they called me the Duganette when I would get there and like the whole staff knew who I was. I had apparently been coming since my mom called it the pumpkin seat, like the baby carrier, Uh like on the table at a bar. (laughs) Um, and so I, I had almost carte blanche in that place. Like I would run, the managers knew me, I would go back in the kitchen um, Mr. Fred was the chef and his whole family was the kitchen staff. I mean, the entire yeah. kitchen staff, I think was his family.
2: Yeah.
1: Cause I know his wife worked there and I think a couple of his sons did too. And so when we would come in, Kathy, who was the general manager would go tell Fred that I was there and Fred would come wait by the door and I would like run. I mean, I'm talking, I had to have been three. I would yeah. go back in the kitchen with Mr. Fred and he would pick me up and put me on the prep table. And my job would be to put the toast in the toaster, so I would I would get to press the toaster button, and I was allowed to have one potato chip, just one. So I would have one potato chip, and I would get to put the toast in the toaster, um, and I think that's also like why I love restaurants. I mean, yeah, that was a long story, but it's also oh, uh, that's
0: that's a gem. That's um, too that you like create like it's not often that people's going out to restaurants yes gives them such close proximity to food preparation
1: yes and we became pretty good friends with fred's family because yeah. um you know they kind of took me under their wing and were so nice to this little girl who was interested in what they were doing and my parents clearly trusted him to give them like, you know, 15, 20 minutes of alone time, because I would be occupied with the toaster and eating a potato chip. And so they got a little bit of like alone time, even when we were all out as a family. But um, we became pretty close with Fred's family. And I remember when he passed away, it was we were all sad and sent our regards and um, you know his family was they knew exactly who we were and it had been years since we had seen them yeah. um, and that so that that was a special a special place for us
0: that's so nice yeah the Duganet.
1: the
2: duganette
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a, a similar like I, um, I, don't, I I was not sat on the counter to make toast but, um, <laughs> going out to eat was a big deal for us like that was the yeah. highest form of celebration in a lot yeah. of times. For us, it was Pizza Hut, usually.
1: Mm, oh, man. <laughs> I can, like, feel the texture of those red cups. <laughs> oh,
0: 100%. 100%. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is also at the height of the Pizza Hut buffet, which was, mm. man. Oh, my
1: God. And I would read so many of those books in the summer so I could get my free my free pan pizza.
0: <laughs> yes. Although one of my claim to fame is we I transferred schools in the middle of the year, one year. Yes. And that class had read enough books to get a pizza party. <gasps> I hadn't been there, but I still got to go to the pizza, the pizza party. Woo! <laughs> better than reading. <laughs> um, all right. So, uh, still in the similar-ish vein, what yes. food for you is home? What recipe do you hope is on the table when you visit family?
1: Mm, um this is a, it's a restaurant thing silly enough um there's a restaurant down the street for my parents it's a it's a local chain called the purple onion uh-huh. that is greek food it's like greek plus american kind of diner food you know yeah. it's like it got a good griddle top and um so when i was in chicago and i would come visit i would crave the chicken sandwich from the purple onion all the time and so that is still, we don't really, we just now got one that's opening on, on my side of town now. Oh. So I still only eat purple onion when I'm going to see my parents. So it's, I still associate it with them, even yeah. though I have moved back to my hometown.
0: Oh, that's funny. That's right. Yeah. 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 And what's, I mean, what uh, does, how do you, yeah. How does your relationship change with those tastes and flavors now that you're back? Like, do you feel like it, it's an embarrassment of riches again or?
2: Oh
1: gosh you know, when I first moved back and I've been back for five years now, which is feels that it's so crazy. But then I'm like, Oh yeah, I've had like enough time to have like two careers and get married. So like,
2: yeah,
1: <laughs> I've been living some life. It just doesn't feel like it's been that long.
2: That's right.
1: Um, yeah, when I first moved back, it was I definitely like needed to go back and eat all of my favorites. And now I there's still some things like purple onion that I still only eat with my parents and a couple of other restaurants. Um, and it is different now with my grandmother not being able to cook because her cooking was a was a big part of like only Mama was going to cook that dish that way. And yeah. so it's different without her being able to to do that. Um, and I do miss some of the dishes because she didn't really write any of she never had any recipes so there's no, no like there's no written down recipe about, about how she cooked any of it yeah. which is a little sad but we're gonna get close oh, yeah. um but i miss stuff from chicago now now oh, i have yeah. flip-flopped and i miss dishes from chicago um
2: what do you I, miss
1: close oh god oh <laughs> i've told max my husband about the nachos at burrito house oh, so yes. often <laughs>
0: Have you ever gotten them on the fries? Uh, (laughs) Irish nachos.
2: Oh my.
0: It's all the same stuff, but on French fries and it's really good.
1: (laughs) I'm laughing because I love them so much. And also because I I have told Max about them so much that he's like, I know you love the nachos from Burrito House. (laughs) And I'm like, I can't tell. It's like, they've got both queso dip and shredded cheese. I love the steak there's guacamole, there's beans, there's, mm, it's so good. It's everything. And then I also miss Peace Pizza. Yeah. Specifically a sausage and jardinera pizza um, from Peace. That is, that is like the other thing I used to, my friend Brenna and I would frequently, like almost every week on Friday nights would order that pizza and watch like crappy tv that we or move attempt to watch a movie but we always talked through the whole movie and never actually watched the movie yep (laughs) um so those are the things that i that i miss from chicago yeah but i'll think of more things pizza is
0: good all right uh fill in the blank what americans don't understand about blank is blank Mm. okay food related
1: i'm gonna get get a little deep with this but that's okay good I've been thinking about, um, I think that the, that it's becoming more talked about, but I, there's so much tradition in Southern cooking, and I don't think that we acknowledge enough as Americans where those traditions came from, which yes. is from the slaves that were required to cook for white families.
2: Yes.
1: And a lot of those food traditions, the things that that we love about Southern food are really recipes that are rooted in African cuisine. Um there's a lot of crossover. When you start looking at like the way that, you know, they that in African culture, how greens were cooked and then looking at like a collard green recipe, yeah. it is very similar. Yeah. Um, and that a lot of those recipes were, were creative out of necessity, like using things like ham hocks and stuff is like, that's not the, the best meat that you can have, but it's what people had. And that's where those recipes came from. So, um, it's something that I, I have been examining in myself as a, as a person that is from the South and a person that loves Southern cuisine and is starting to think about these family recipes that my grandmother has been cooking for forever mm-hmm. and where did those come from? Um, but I do think that there's an, igno- there, I don't think that enough people kind of think about the cultural heritage of, it's not just Southern cuisine, it's also where did where did that food really come from and who was cooking it originally
0: yeah it, it, it there's something you just said that made me think about like we talk sometimes about not sometimes but we talk about um land acknowledgement and like yes the land that we're standing on and whose it was and who was killed uh yes to, to steal it and there's something about like a food acknowledgement that like just came to my mind as you said mm. that like I don't know what that manifests as but it's like there's something about like particularly if you're a white person and you're consuming something that comes from a vector of history yes particularly is attached to black american slavery like it feels like there needs to be more than just a yummy sound right (laughs) when encountering or making or eating those foods right
1: yeah it's something that i i um have been thinking about more and more often and um and ha- are am just in the very beginnings of kind of researching where where the recipes come from, but um, I can't remember where I saw that. But somebody was like, "Where do you think that collard cream recipe came from?" Like it came from people that were like, "I didn't have any other choice than to eat the toughest green with the scrap of meat that I had."
0: That's right. It, well, it's like uh, catfish. I mean, even chicken yes. is not fancy food, right?
1: Right. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah it's important stuff. In, it is important think, stuff. And you're right. Like to the question, like there's plenty of people who don't think about that as they consume. And and the, the parenthetical there is white people.
2: <laughs>
1: Correct. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, I think also, especially in Southern cuisine, it's very funny because um, food is such a point of pride and the like family recipe is such a point of pride for families. And You know, there's always somebody, the matriarch of the family is almost always the cook. Uh But it was, but, but that tradition, especially in white families has not been like that for that long. Like the history doesn't go back that far until you find the cook the the person that lived in that house, who was the worker and was hired to be the cook. And then you know, ultimately taught one of the kids or something who was interested, but you know, the the history doesn't go that far back of you know the hired help that was cooking food, yeah, um, in the house and it wasn't it wasn't the the white mom it was the black nanny you know right so
0: and before hired help unhired help right
1: unhired help yes
0: that's the understatement of the century but um right. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think, I think in actually a lot of topics, but a ton of food topics and and anti racist topics and just human exploration of human history. Like, we often think what we know right now has been forever, right? And actually, like the nuclear family, the uh, relationship with food, outsourcing of mm-hmm. reality of food mm-hmm. uh, that our my, my friend Dave talks about, like it was actually not that long ago that people killed their own meat and then cooked it, right? But right. our world right now is so different than actually a hundred years ago or two
1: Yes, years. radically different.
0: Um, on so many levels. But I think that is such an astute point of like, who is cooking in the house has actually changed, but- Has changed. Because we only remember a couple generations. We sort of can well, imagine a timeline of moms going yeah. back, but that's mm-hmm. not the case in America, right?
1: I mean, I would even say my mom, who is in her 60s, m- her mother was a full-time working mom in the 1950s and 60s, which was kind of unusual, but um, my grandfather was often sick, and so my my grandmother worked, and they had a nanny who yeah. made lunch yeah. every day and frequently prepped dinner, so I mean, that's just my mom who had somebody right. that, that was her nanny, yeah. um, and they were very close and they loved her and she was wonderful but even then like my grandmother wasn't cooking much yeah she wasn't cooking
0: yeah that's right yeah all right what's a food or cuisine that you found in your adult life that changed how you thought about food
1: Ooh. somebody's probably already said this but curry oh yeah the first time i made homemade curry paste specifically like i didn't buy it i made it at home That is the one where I went, this is not a scary. This is not a scary dish. Uh This is made with ingredients that we already know.
2: Yeah, It's a lot
1: of like garlic and ginger and pepper. It's not some sort of like crazy, weird, unusual Sort of ingredients like curry paste is made out of ingredients that everyone knows and uses. It's yeah. just the way it's just the ratio of things are different. And
2: yeah.
1: Um, so the, the first time that I made homemade curry paste is, was like a radical moment for me in the kitchen of, of opening lots of doors um, um, to recognizing that in, in all different cultures, we're often eating a lot of the same flavors. It's yep. just a matter of, like, the ratio in which we eat them or prepare well, them.
0: Yeah, and I mean, part of that, I mean, not not to get too weird or, or too serious, but, like, part of the reason for that is the spice trade and the occupation yes. of India happened a while ago, actually.
1: Yes, yes, so very true.
0: people have been using spices and flavors from that part of the world for a while. For a ago.
1: long time, that yes. That was
0: one of the large impetuses for... The, the, the colonization of India, right? Yes. Tea and spice.
1: Tea and spice, that's right. We were actually just talking about it the other day because um, is the East India Trading Company the oldest operating company in the world? It might oh, be. Indeed. It's very close if it's not the longest operating. It is up there of like one of the, the longest operating.
0: I thought it was Chauvin Siza.
1: Mm-hmm. And along with Chauvin Sita, yes, of course. <laughs> Oh
0: yeah, the uh, spices. That's that's a whole book.
1: Oh God, yeah. I'm I'm sure there are several that we could buy. Oh, God,
0: sure. <laughs> uh, what's your biggest recipe fail?
1: Oh, Joe, this one time. <laughs> <laughs> i was like kind of early into my baking journey and i'm still to this day i don't know what i did wrong but i attempted to make these like italian donuts Uh and um something just went so terribly wrong i mean they were like it was it was like a it was like dry cardboard Uh I mean, I finished the, and I, I kind of knew before I fried them that like something wasn't right. (laughs) Um, Like I knew it, but I was like, at this point, I
2: was
1: was so far down the line that like, I couldn't completely abandon ship. Yeah. And I fried them and I was like, they were just, they were, the, they were just the worst donuts. And like, I don't know how any, I knew they were bad because nothing fried is bad. And these were bad, even though they were fried.
0: Right, right.
1: (laughs) They were so bad.
0: But frying um, actually covers a lot of sins, right?
1: It really does. I mean, frying really, really covers a lot of sins. And for some reason, these were just like, it was just terrible. They were so bad. Um, and the only other one that I really, I guess I should speak to, my biggest recipe fail. Um, when I was eliminated from MasterChef, I had a complete huge recipe fail. Mm-hmm. I we were given, it was this challenge where we were, um, we were assigned like a basket of ingredients and we were assigned clearly like an Italian basket and it had like artichokes and a couple of different bottles of wine and, you know, some San Marzano tomatoes. And there was some like semolina flour in there. And they said like, don't, don't attempt to make pasta. Like, don't do it. And I did it. (laughs) And I, I shouldn't have because I was at I, that point in the competition, like if you've watched season five that I'm in, you'll know that like the episode where I'm eliminated, like in the challenge, in the first half of the show, I passed out from, I passed, I literally swooned into Gordon Ramsay's arms. I passed out because I had developed um, anxiety induced hypoglycemia and I was not, my blood sugar could not be regulated anymore. And so I had gotten really anxious. I had passed out. And the next day we went to film this and I was so nervous that I was going to get, I was going to pass out again on live TV or national television that I could, I just, I messed up a basic pasta recipe so badly. I mean, Gordon had to come to my table and be like, what is happening? And I was like, I just can't, I, 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 I I can't get like, I'm not
0: okay. Actually, (laughs)
1: like I'm really not doing well. Um, and he had to come and like help me put the pasta together. And I managed to get like one ravioli done. And ultimately I was eliminated because I had forgotten to like season my sauce. Like I, I just could not cook and it was terrible. And I told them as I was being eliminated, like I really failed at this. I really failed at this. And um, I, just, I just like wasn't in a place where I could cook. And so my biggest recipe fail is probably my, my biggest like Claim to fame, yeah like claim to fame was that like i just failed so hard on tv and millions yeah. of people watched it although millions i guess
2: when you it.
0: fail that hard people don't like nobody was like i guess you can't cook right because <laughs> you've gone too far actually
1: i yeah i mean
0: clearly you definitely. needed a different environment to be in for a little while
1: Yeah. I mean, there were definitely people who thought that I could not cook at all from the very beginning from the like, you know, the social media commentary part of it. But, um, you know, it's funny. I actually did not think about that that as my biggest recipe fail. I thought of the donuts until we were recording this. And then I was like, wait a minute, I am forgetting my actual worst public fail that happened in front of millions of people. And it was this recipe that I it should have been so simple. Like pasta dough is pretty simple. Sure. It's just like eggs and, and it's just eggs and flour and salt. And I just couldn't get it. I just couldn't do it. And, um. and ultimately I was eliminated from that show, which was actually a good thing. Cause I needed to go. Cause I was sick. Yeah. And also it took me a while to get back in the kitchen and like be able to cook again. Mm. Um. But then I, have then I transitioned really hard into food styling and it's, it's what uh, led me into, um, into that area and how I got back into doing like YouTube posting But it took me several years to kind of build my confidence back up from that, because yeah. uh, it was a it was a pretty terrible fail.
0: <laughs> That's hard.
1: Yeah.
0: And public, which is.
1: Oh my god! I'm like so public. Like me passing out was part of the like season preview. You know, it was like the drop, the drama moment in the season trailers.
2: So. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um. But I, I actually, I'm taking forever to answer this question, but okay. um, I, several years after that elimination, actually a- after I had moved back to Alabama, um, our friend Gwen, who we already talked about, um, was working for the Girl Scouts, and she was arranging for the, um, what is it, the Gold, the gold Star, which is yeah. the equivalent of the Eagle Scout for the Girl Scouts, yeah. and so they asked me to come and be their like special speaker. And I gave a speech about being prepared to fail. That Mm -hmm. it's part, it's one of the best things you can do. Cause I feel like probably with like a lot of those Girl Scouts, I was a super high achieving kid and failure was, was not really an option. And, uh, and like having the ability to, to change your mind or shift gears was not, was not something that I was, really open to, it was like, I needed to make a plan in, and then like stick with it. Yeah. And um, I ended up giving a whole speech about that. And it, and during that speech, I watched that elimination for the first time since it had happened
2: Whoa.
1: live in front of other people. And I told them, I was like, I'm gonna do this again, like in front of you guys, because I haven't watched this since it happened to me. Um, and it was crazy to, to watch it again. I've never watched it since then, yeah. but I said, you know, like now you've just watched me fail again in public and it's okay like I'm still standing here and it's
0: like Elton John says I'm still standing
1: I'm still standing
0: (laughs) that's on my 2020 playlist by (laughs) the way
1: of course it is that's perfect
0: you gotta you gotta you gotta beautiful I think that I mean that advice to to young people is um that's critical you know
1: you gotta, you gotta give yourself a chance to just really fall on your face. Cause it just makes you like, it sucks when it's happening, but I do think that it has made me, uh, it, it really, nothing eliminates the fear of failing more than doing it in public
0: big. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you're
1: like, okay, I'm still fine.
0: It's you're okay. like, I can interview for this job now. Who cares? <laughs> That's,
1: fine. What if, like, what if?
0: <laughs> That's right. I sometimes think like I, when I'm coaching myself in like how to get through something, I'm like, Let's think of some things that you did that were harder, you know? Yes. Yes. Uh, Not to belittle my current experience, whatever it may be, but just like you made it through.
1: You've been through some stuff,
0: you know? Yeah. Hello. Um, In uh, the flip side of fails, uh, what's a recipe hack that you found that you will always stick with?
1: Oh, this is a good one. Okay. If you ever let something sit in a pan for too long and it starts to get a little dark and crispy on the bottom, just deglaze with some chicken stock or some wine and make a sauce and then throw some butter in there and voila, you've made a fancy dinner with a sauce now. Whoa. Oh yeah.
0: I'm gonna try that.
1: Yeah, it does. It actually, it also, when you're like, I don't know how to get the sticky stuff off the pan, never let it sit like always while it's hot. Yeah. Put the chicken stock and then just use it as a sauce. It's delicious. Yeah. And then my other one for baking um i like to freeze the butter if i have to cut butter into something like a biscuit or a pie dough freeze the butter grated on a cheese grater is so much easier than having to cut it in with a pastry cutter my gosh
0: that's i sometimes avoid a recipe just because you you have to cut in butter yeah (laughs)
1: yeah it's truly it's a lot easier if you just freeze it and then Grated it on a cheese grater it just makes it so much easier because then you're amazing. just stirring it in with the flour
0: yeah although i do hate grading things also but that's you know i'm just lazy
1: you could do, do the food processor processor blade
0: that oh, works yeah.
1: too i've done that before if i had yeah. to make a bunch of pie dough
0: yeah that's right that's right you got it yeah vaguely related i just saw that Velveeta has come out with individual use packs have you seen this like if not but yes <laughs> so you can buy the same amount of Velveeta but it's individually wrapped in like servings oh I wow I like
1: that though because then you don't you're not stuck with like a weird block of Velveeta that like has been sitting in your fridge and like the end gets hard because yeah, even corners, you try to wrap it right?
0: And of course, when I first saw it, I was like, that's so wasteful. I'm, why would anyone need that? And then like an hour later, I was like, actually, no, that's real. That's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. uh, what's a recipe that you highly recommend and what makes it special?
1: Mm. Okay, um, my favorite recipe, and I, I mean, th- this recipe is so good that I have used it. And I like, there is no way to make it better. Ina Garten's outrageous brownies recipe is the best brownie recipe. Yeah. It is the best brown I mean I have baked them and sold them. I'm not even kidding. And it's her yeah. recipe. I'm yeah. admitting right now it's not my recipe. It's Ina Garten's recipe and it cannot be improved upon. So Yeah. It, it's a it's basically fudge. That's what makes it so good. I mean it's it's two kinds of chocolate. It's um un, like unsweetened chocolate and then semi-sweet chocolate chips. And you keep some of the semi-sweet chocolate chips um, out of the melting pot. Then you melt everything else down. It's like a whole pound of butter.
2: Oh my gosh, yeah.
1: A whole pound of butter, six eggs, like instant coffee, sugar, like the tiniest amount of flour, like just enough to make it come together. So much chocolate. And then at the end, you put a little bit of flour with the leftover chocolate chips in the bag and you shake up the bag so that the, chocolate chips get coated in flour and then you pour that in so now you've got chocolate chips in your brownies because they haven't melted with everything else it is it is so good and the the worst part about it is you bake them and then you have to let them cool and then really you need to put them in the fridge overnight because they're so tender and fudgy you can't get it out of the pan unless it's cold
0: yep i've made that mistake before too
1: yeah then you've just got like chocolate goo, and it tastes delicious, but you can't cut a slice out to save your life. <laughs>
0: Better get a spoon.
1: Uh huh. Uh-huh.
0: That's right. That's funny. Yeah, you know it's funny sometimes. Like yeah, back to like sort of um, having to admit it's somebody else's recipe. Like yeah, yeah. When my we when my grandma passed and we went through her recipe cards, some uh-huh. of them were like things that she had like sort of invented or troubleshooted over the years, but like, we were like, oh, your cheddar biscuits are the Bisquick cheddar biscuits. And yes. she was never like pretending, but I no. was like, oh, I could have been making these the whole time.
1: The whole time. my I mean, my grandmother, I think it was, you know, Mama, who I've talked about already, like she was an, an incredible cook, but as we did start noticing like what her recipes were, half of them were like the soup recipe on the back of this like seasoning packet, like there's, And some of it is maybe the convenience of like um, that 1950s convenience food where all of a sudden you didn't need to go, you didn't need to have a garden. You could just buy a can. Yeah. Um, And those recipes that came with those convenience items then became family recipes. um, And now it's interesting, this trend of kind of going back and saying, well, how do I make it taste like that can thing? but I actually want to use the fresh ingredients and not the cans
0: that's real mm-hmm. I, I, mean, I always say that about um, like easy cheese or like anything that was like mm-hmm. from the past Yeah, like that's as close as they could get then but yeah. now there's a whole I mean that you could duplicate cheese in a can and it would be now with what we know you could be yes. authentic whatever that would mean but sometimes you want to taste that fake taste yeah yeah diet coke is actually a really good example right now they can make coke that tastes see exactly like coke with no sugar but Mm. i want that 1982 taste
1: me too that's why i'm drinking one right now
0: i love it i love it Mm -hmm. all right um what food yeah what chef or food practitioner do you recommend looking into
1: Okay, for baking, and I I want this book, and so I'm putting it out in the universe for a present. If somebody listens to this, it wants to say of the worst. Um, Erin McDowell.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Um, she just published a book on pies. And I really I think she is the authority on pie baking. She is a pastry queen. She has been a food stylist and a recipe developer for all of her professional career. She is um first of all delightful and and uh, seemingly incredibly nice and um she but she's kind of the the go-to pastry queen she's really perfected the recipe and she's uh, she's a very good teacher so I recommend looking at Erin McDowell um and then I've also really have you followed um the black forager her name is um I think she's Alexa Nicole she's on TikTok right on TikTok she's big on TikTok and then on Instagram she's so cool um and I have learned so much from watching her videos about the food that is like on the ground around us because she forages for it and makes all kinds of dishes and it's so interesting
0: she pickled something and it blew my mind I can't remember now what it was but it was something I would have thought was inedible
1: yes yeah she's made all kinds of stuff with like The ginkgo berries that smell so terrible and she made like a carrot cake out of like flower roots it's just like fascinating stuff so she's i think her her handle is black forager and i think her name is alexis nicole she is um she is delightful to watch and also like super informative
0: and she also has a great vibe like she's like very charming and a very like
1: even know
0: gentle way i don't know what the right word is there's something though
1: yes she's she's great i've been really enjoying her videos
0: she's fantastic and food tiktok we could have a whole hour conversation oh god yeah about what's happening with like food and and cooking and food practice and tiktok right now it's yeah fascinating and amazing yeah it really is um what are you working on right now food related or not that you want to share with listeners
1: Mm. You know, I feel like I'm in a little bit of a hibernation zone. Um, Hello. I've been, yeah, I've been doing um, not food related. I've been doing a little uh, YouTube show with my friend Tam, who runs a theater in town. Um, uh, So uh, that's called Who's Zooming In? Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: um, we've got a couple of, (laughs) we've got a couple of episodes left. And then we're going to pivot and find out what the next iteration of that is going to be. And then food-wise, I am hoping that I can maybe get my act together and do a little like YouTube thing myself because I do miss doing, um, my little YouTube show. I had a show Mm -hmm. called Smart Cookie. I'd like to, um, I, I have a show that I would like to call Brownie Points. (laughs) Brownie Points that is kind of similar, but would be produced by me and shot by me and edited by me. And, um, And so I've got one episode that is ready to be edited. And I have just been afraid to look at my own face for that long. So I haven't done it yet.
0: (laughs) This is also the strain, like between Zoom and being stuck in our houses, we are looking at our own faces probably too much. All the time. Like I'm watching myself as we record this right now. Oh yeah. Instead of you. Oh, no. I, I mean, I to... do
1: the same thing all the time where I'm like, stop yeah. looking at yourself. Like, just yeah. look at the person you're talking to. Why are you doing that? Yes. Oh,
0: yes. Very strange. Strange times. Strange times. Uh, can folks watch Smart Cookies still? Is it it's on? Yes.
1: The- yeah. You can go to um, all recipes YouTube page. They're, um, there is a collection of Smart Cookie videos. So if you do all recipes plus Smart Cookie, you'll find, and I think I had twenty episodes or something of Smart Cookies. So you can you can find me there. There's right. all kinds of recipes, and um, they're all ones that I came up with and recipe developed and tested. And
0: and it's funny. Like,
1: well, thank you. Yeah that's what I loved about it. It's an opportunity for me to kind of combine my love of acting and comedy with my love of food. Yeah. Um, and I just feel like that that for me is like, it speaks to all the things that I really love, so.
0: Well, that time will come again. I hope so. I, I'm thinking on a lot of things returning. <laughs>
1: oh my gosh, please, please, knock on wood. Please can things be, I'm just so hopeful. Ooh. And. I'm being cautious about 2021. I mean, there's that meme going around that's like, nobody claim it. Don't say anything. Don't touch anything. Be real quiet.
2: (laughs) That's right. That's right.
1: (laughs) Like, great. That's fine. I'm, 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 I am uh, hopeful that maybe the dinner party will return in 2021.
2: I am hopeful of that
1: too. That would make me, that would be a dream come true to just cook dinner for lots of people.
0: Or even just, I don't know, six. (laughs)
1: or just like six, you know, for multiple households.
0: Yes. (laughs) Well, I I, I feel like that's, that feels like a a measurable goal that we can, we can meet.
1: I think so. I I think so. so.
0: Well, thank you so much, Elise, for being here. This is an absolute delight.
1: Oh, Joe, I was so, uh, thank you for having me on. I was so happy to hear from you. And I just think that this is so wonderful. And thanks for giving me a chance to talk with you and with everybody listening
0: you got it (laughs) (laughs) I want to thank you for joining me on Mirkwa podcast and thank our house band siblings for the use of their song jars I want to invite you to subscribe to support Mirkwa directly on anchor and to follow me on instagram where you can receive behind the scenes content about this podcast and my own food practice till we feast again